Hey, you ready? Hey, grab that right there. <laughs> Are you ready? Hey. Is you ready? Ready? You say you ready? Oh. Whole squad ready? Ready? Is you ready? Huh? Are you ready? Ready? Is you ready? Whole squad hey. ready? We came here to see Jet. What you got? Hello, everyone. Uh, we have a special guest with us today, uh, Robert Huang from. Golden Blogs, our sister site uh, that deals with the California Golden Bears for us on SB Nation. How are you doing, Rob? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, I think this is my third Oregon thing I'm doing this week, so uh, I'm I'm really really well informed about our Bears more so than uh, any other week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and by the way, Annyeonghaseyo. Ah, uh, yes, my fellow Korean. Annyeonghaseyo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Uh, it's always fun to to talk within the Pac-12 to our other schools. Recently, our uh, the state of California passed SB 206. So that's been a very hot topic of late. But we'll get into that a little later, I suppose. So for Cal, uh, we have several questions for our Duck fans listening in. Uh, they may have several questions about their offense and defense so let's start with um how they how does cal match up defensively with the oregon offensive line do you think well it's going to be tough uh cal has at least under justin wilcox over the last three years so historically have not done pretty well against offensive lines that with that type of size uh we've struggled to with some of the recruiting aspects of getting bigger and you know more athletic guys across the line. Granted, we're pretty overall a little more experienced. Um, there's still some youth that have to come along, but you know the the starters and the rotation guys are mostly going to be guys that are juniors and seniors. But um, not having our two nose guards for most of the season has definitely hurt us. Uh, but Aaron Maldonado did play about three or four snaps against ASU last Friday, so that definitely will help us going forward. If he is ready to go and can, is able to play more than 50% of the game, I think that helps us a lot because that helps us move guys like Luke Beckett back to his natural spot at defensive end. Uh, maybe give some time to our Superman of a freshman, Brett Johnson, um, and maybe gives him some time outside as well, which I think will be his natural position in a few years. But, yeah, it's going to be a tall task uh, for these guys playing against Oregon's O-line. Yeah, uh, Oregon's biggest weakness is that right guard on the line. So do you expect Cal to exploit that weakness? Or is it going to be like a wash throughout the line? I hope they do. I hope if, if it's something that they've recognized on tape. Um, I haven't studied the Oregon's offense this year too significantly. I'm on the defensive previews this year. So I'm watching a lot more defenses than offenses. But um, if that's something that they see on tape, I fully expect them to exploit it. Uh, they have plenty of guys that can attack them, so to speak. You know, of course, with, with our biggest uh, star in Evan Weaver, who's the leading tackler in the country by 19 tackles. So, yeah, I think if they see it on tape and they think that that's something that can exploit, I'm sure that they're going to run some stunts and some blitzes um, into into that zone. Okay. Speaking of Evan Weaver, is he a lock for the uh, Bronco Nagurski Award and the Buckus Award, as everyone makes him out to be? 
because he is a tackling machine. In my mind, he is. In my mind, he's already won. Um, yeah. I mean, barring injury, the dude is – he, I think – I believe I saw something today where it said he's on pace to break the NCAA season tackling record, which is – it blows my mind considering where this team was just three years ago and how we were arguably the worst defense in the country, at least out of the Power Five. And, you know, these guys – played on most of these seniors played under Sonny and to see them you know play like this especially Evan Weaver Lord yeah I think he has it locked up but I don't know what other defensive players across the country in terms of numbers they're putting up so we'll see yeah he's um he's been moving up the draft boards this year due to his play I mean he's getting like 20 tackles a game it seems like he's basically playing one on 11 and making every tackle regardless. So we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah, I I definitely will be. Um the yeah, the dude the dude's such a great, nice dude too off the off the field. Uh when you talk to him on on a press availability or, or whatever, he, the dude is always smiling, super friendly, which is very weird considering how he plays on the field. How can uh where can Cal win on the field against Oregon's defense? Against Oregon's defense, I think um you're, we're going to have to start with some intermediate passes over the middle. I think Cal has a lot of playmakers that are pretty speedy and can work the middle of the field. I think that that's the route you got to go. I don't think that the offensive line has struggled to create running lanes for our running backs over the last few games, and I don't think it's going to be any easier against Oregon's defensive line. So I think you get those intermediate quick passes available open up uh, for the wide receivers. It'll definitely help our quarterback in Devin Modster get some, you know, easy completions in and help his rhythm as he's going to be starting uh, arguably for the majority of the rest of the season. Um, So I think that's the way to do it. Get your offense in the rhythm a little bit. And then from there, open it up, maybe air some deep balls and and get some running lanes going for the team. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Andy Avalos, our the Oregon defense coordinator, uh, who does he have to scheme for specifically on Cal's offense that's going to be most dangerous? I think there's two guys you got to look for. Uh, the first one is, of course, Chris Brown, who's one of our who's our starting running back uh, against UC Davis in the season opener. It was his first game as a starter, and he gained 207 yards. I think on the day, net. It ended up being 197 because of some garbage time uh, runs that just ended in tackles for loss. So, yeah, he is definitely the work back if he's healthy. He has been banged up a couple weeks, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see if they give him a full go come Saturday. But he's definitely the guy out of the backfield to watch. In terms of the wide receivers and the tight ends, I think the one you have to look out for is Kakoa Crawford, the Michigan transfer. Um, first game, he came into the summer. And the first game he plays against UC Davis, he catches two touchdowns. Um, And he didn't play against Arizona State, which I think is one of the biggest things that hurt us because he is a very good deep threat and is very good with the ball in his hands. So, yeah, look for him to to be lined up outside or sometimes in the slot as well. And uh, us trying to get the ball into his hands to make some plays. I've been watching uh, 
their running back Yancey a lot. He seems like a in in between the tackles bruiser type. Will he have any effect? I think he will. He's definitely the change of pace back. Um, he's very shifty. He's very good from left to right. Um, it's a matter of him getting burst up the field. But if you watched the game against Washington, we probably don't win that game unless he plays the way he did. Um, and being able to spell, it's we have our own little version of Thunder and Lightning because uh, Chris Brown is definitely a guy who's going to try to truck you. And versus Marcel Dancy is definitely one of those guys that's trying to, you know, juke or spin move off of you, which he's definitely shown this year that he can do at the Division One level. So, yeah, that's definitely another guy to, to look out for just because you're not expecting him to do that. Okay. Because um, I I watched a little bit of him in the game last week against Arizona State, and he stood out to me. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how we'll see how it unfolds for him. Yeah, he's a good – he's very good. Um, and he's, you know, a local kid too. He was – he's actually nominated for the uh, All-State uh, Good Works Good Hands team uh, for his mm-hmm. work in in Oakland uh, with kids and, you know, teaching them football and, and coaching a youth team. So, yeah, he's uh, – that's just an off-the-field story. But on the field, the dude's, the dude's really good. Um, and there's a reason that we wanted to bring him in from local community college, Laney. As a draft evaluator, I have your safety, Ashton Davis, rated highly as one of the best safeties in the class. So where do you think he goes in the draft? Like a round range or? Uh, I mean, there's a couple places that rate him as arguably the second best safety prospect in this draft right after, I believe, Delpit from LSU. Um, I'm going to be brutally honest. Ashton hasn't played up to par this season as what we expected him to granted it's only Mm -hmm. been five weeks into the season but um i mean i'm hoping that he turns it around but you know i think he has to go somewhere in the first two rounds if he's rated that high if he's rated as one of the top two safeties i don't see him falling past the second round um probably not even past the first half of the second round i think he's going to be end up if he goes that far down i think he's going to be listed as one of those guys that got stolen um just a steal Mm -hmm that late just because I think he does have first round talent the thing with him too is that he became a he was a walk-on that became a starting safety by his senior year he's originally came to Cal to to do the hurdle which so that that just tells you that his like football ceiling is definitely higher than what we're seeing and that mm-hmm. he, the once he gets more and more coaching and is given more time to play He's only going to get better and better. So I think, I think, yeah, somewhere in the first or second round is where I would place him, just because we've seen such a big premium put up on defensive backs over the last few years, and his size and speed definitely puts him up there too. Okay. Our next question regarding Davis is: is at the next level, do you project him as a box safety, a free safety, or can he play? cornerback as in a big nickel package in certain place I think, I think he could I think but his long-term spot is at safety which safety spot he plays I think depends on the defensive system that he's going to play in he can roam if he if you let him he's actually very good in run support as well so you could put him in that slot uh but yeah I mean I think ultimately it comes down to which defensive system drafts him and decides to make the most use of his speed and his Quite frankly, his his knack for tackling. Okay, 
Yeah, I noticed a couple of plays in the game last week where he was uh, he was placed. Well, I don't know if it was primary assignment, but he was in covering the the slot as a nickel. So, uh, yeah, that was a uh, really surprising to see his versatility. Yeah, I mean, our starting nickel was out this past game in Travion Beck, which I think by Pro Football PFF's ratings, he's arguably one of the top five, or if not the top. Uh, slot corner in the country so not having him meant that a lot of our guys had to shift around you saw Trey Turner who's also a safety play in that nickel package for a little bit and I think they just rotated guys um, just to match up with some of the speed that Arizona State brought in that slot spot okay um speaking of Cal's defense does Bynum cover the the Oregon's top receiver or does he float around it's the system that they run defensively is more about the coverage than it is about specific players. Um, I think the defensive coordinator and Tim DeRoyter and our defensive backs coach, uh, Gerald Alexander, fully trust our two cornerbacks in Cameron Bynum and Elijah Hicks to be able to put them on an island, which they certainly did against some opponents this year so far. So it's not more of, you know, will he will he be matched up against the best player uh, in again on the opposing sideline but more so where the opponent just happens to line up because we do play a lot of man coverage but we also play a lot of zone so we play the sides more than we do the actual player so how would you describe cal's defensive formation because i've noticed that cal's linebackers and front front seven basically has been hurt pretty much in and out this year so is there like a specific formation y'all go-to or is it like multiple well our base is a three four uh, but due to the injuries we have played a lot of nickel and so you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of guys rotated in um, you're gonna see a lot of position changes they've started to open up the defensive playbook uh, starting last week or actually the week before at Ole Miss so I think they're starting to get into that mid-season form of of using a lot of coverage disguises, using a lot of stunts, uh, mixing and matching guys in the the, the, the pass rush. And um, you're going to see that. And that's clearly the case under Tim DeRoyder over the last few years. Um, you'll, you'll get three to four guys coming at you, putting pressure on the quarterback on every play. It's just a matter of who that four is. It could be from the, the fourth guy, could be from the safety. They could drop back the two ends and then send both linebackers. Uh, you just don't know where the pressure is coming from. And that's before you even think about who's blitzing. Uh, once that gets put into effect, too, yeah. it's massive mayhem if you're a, a new quarterback trying to figure out where the pressure's going to come from if you haven't done your film study properly. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So how does it feel to beat Washington two years in a row? Great. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, that And those both these games have come down to the wire. Like we won – there was only one offensive touchdown last year. And then this year it came down to a last-minute field goal 
which, or I mean, last eight second field goal, which by the way, I still believe that that third down run by Chris Brown should have been a touchdown. Um, but of yeah. course, hashtag Pac-12 reps. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been great. It's been really weird um, to be on the winning side against a really good team like that. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully we get a, a couple of more of those uh, this year. Maybe it's Oregon. Maybe we get that two-win win streak against USC and we start our own win streak against them. But, yeah, it's been really fun um, when, whenever we get those big marquee wins that we haven't gotten over the last few years. Yeah, that game against Washington was weird in a lot of ways, given the the storm that passed through Seattle and, and ended the game at like 4 a.m. Eastern time. So, yeah, it yeah, was a, man. it was not a fun game to to be at. From what I heard, uh, they, I had a few buddies in Seattle watching the game, and they said the concourse was pretty much packed like sardines, but everyone was still mm-hmm. there. So you couldn't move, you couldn't go to the bathroom, you couldn't get any food, but everyone was just still hanging out, and it was just sweaty, rain, humid. That doesn't sound like a fun place to be. Yeah, the Pacific Northwest isn't known for those kind of storms yeah i mean that's what that's what you get when you get a cal game at night yeah (laughs) i was at the cal soon and it was pretty similar it was more rain less lightning but it essentially turned austin stadium into a water feature in the middle of alton baker park yeah i do remember jared goff talking about that game a bunch of times on tv and in interviews too how that definitely helped him prepare himself for other more you know, environmental hazards because that's the first game that he put on gloves to throw. We also, I, I believe in that game, we threw on our backup quarterback at one point because Goff was just like unable to to handle the ball because he was so confused at what the weather was doing to him. <laughs> that that mm-hmm. one was not a fun game to watch either from our end. <laughs> yeah. So, Tom, do you have any further questions? I do. So going into this game, Cal is down a few significant players due to injury, mainly um, Chase Gabers, which opens the door for uh, for UCLA transfer Devin Modster. Um, what's the overall feeling about Devin Modster in the Cal fan sphere? Uh, the quarterback thing is is a weird thing because if you watch our first two games and you look at the comments from the first two games and just the overall vibe of the fan base, everyone kind of wanted a quarterback change. Um, Chase didn't do anything bad by any means, but he didn't light the world on fire. Um, Nor did he, you know, throw the ball enough to kind of win us the game. The run game just kind of did its thing over the first two or three games that kind of got us those wins. But then here comes the old miss game in SEC country, and Chase decided to light up an SEC defense uh, in Mississippi. And, you know, of course, the optimism starts to roll in, and everyone thinks, okay, maybe this kid might have turned the corner here. Then he gets injured in close to the end of the first half, and he's on pace to throw, like, another four touchdowns that game. He had, a, he had I think, one touchdown and 117 yards throwing on – nine of 12 I believe uh in that first half so he was slinging it real well and his confidence was out of this world and it it felt like you know he had gotten over the the tragedies of the Cheez-It Bowl from last year so (laughs) it felt 
it felt good. And then you saw him go down and, you know, most of us who have watched sports enough when a quarterback goes down like that, you immediately know that's not a good sign. Um, and he comes off and monster comes on and everyone has that slight, you know, maybe that optimism of, okay, the backed up quarterback is in, maybe he could uh, spark something. But then he was put in a bad position too. The, the run game against Arizona state was averaging under three yards a carry. Um, he was just unable to get anything going. Um, in my rewatch of the game, there were a lot of RPOs in that second half, and he decided to hand off. Whether that was designed handoffs or if he saw something and decided to hand it off, I I can't tell from the tape. But he, yeah, he he looks he looks to be good. I mean, his stats from UCLA aren't bad. Uh, four touchdowns, I believe, and. Uh, yeah, his completion percentage for pretty much every game that he, the two games that he basically started, which is the Cal game, weirdly, uh, where he played in the entire second half after Rosen went down. He was 14 of 18 for 191 yards. And the Kansas State bowl game is 21 of 34 for 295 yards and two touchdowns with no interceptions. So I think he'll come good. Uh, but it's just the way he played in that Arizona State game in the second half was not conducive to – to galvanizing the fan base and you know that whole hashtag hope springs eternal <laughs> help in that regard but i do think um he'll come good starting this week i mean it helps that we have the oregon state game after a bye so we do have a few more weeks to work him in into the first team uh, my last note on modster would be that he was uneligible he was ineligible to play the first three weeks of the season so he played all of fall camp, but we also don't know what happened past that since practices are closed off. We don't know if he was given first team snaps, um, if someone else was given the the backup snaps because they knew he was ineligible. If that's the case, then he hasn't taken a first team snap in over four weeks, and that's not helpful for uh, to try and throw on your backup in a second half in a very very close game. So then, who is your uh, who is your backup? Your, uh, it would be your third string quarterback because uh, Brandon McElwain decided to go full-time baseball. Is that right? Yes, he did. Uh, he, he did decide to do that. He's on a very, very good baseball team here at Cal. Um, so yeah, he decided to move on. Uh, I believe the third quarterback on the depth chart over the last four weeks was Robbie Rowell, who's a walk-on quarterback from, um, from just down the street here in the East Bay. But uh, Coach Wilcox, when asked that question on Monday, he did say it would be freshman Spencer Brash, who is a quarterback from the state of Arizona. Uh, he was, I think, a top 25 dual threat quarterback, uh, three star recruit, uh, stands about six foot three ish. The dude has a really good arm, but he's still really, really raw. And so I don't, I pray, I pray to God that there does not come a point where we need to use him especially against this Oregon team that's throwing a kid into the fire. So we'll see, but yeah, he is, he is uh, lined up as the backup uh, going forward. Uh, are you expecting both uh, Travion Beck and Kiko Crawford to be back for Oregon? Yeah. Uh, the coaching staff did tell us on Monday that pretty much everyone is available to play. Uh, there are no outstanding injuries outside of Chase Garbers or the quarterback who's out indefinitely. They didn't say he was out for the season. He did say he's out indefinitely, and also our left tackle, Will Craig, who is out for the season. All right. Is there any more uh, information on uh, Garber's injury? Or All I see is uh, it's an upper body injury. But yeah, the coaching, 
yeah, the coaching staff doesn't doesn't uh, dive into what injuries are. If if they're out for the season, they'll let us know that he's out for the season. Um, if he's injured, they'll just say upper body or lower body, and that's pretty much the end of it. Yeah, it's the same here at Oregon. Uh, Mari Cristobal says everyone's day to day, and like who knows, they might they might be uh, off the team. So yeah, it's one of those things where yeah. as a as a guy who covers the team, it sucks because you don't have that information. Uh, but at the same time, from a coaching perspective, I also do understand that it's just part of a bit of gamesmanship if you can throw a team off just a little bit based on who's available and who's not. And, you know, just hoping that, you know, by not die, by not um, talking about the injury or what the injury is, the opposing team doesn't look to exploit it, which I'm perfectly fine with. Yeah, when I saw Garber's injury, it was like, uh, my original thought was maybe collarbone or shoulder dislocation, or he yeah. landed on it really hard. He did land on it really hard, and my, my co-host on the BearCast, Andy Johnson, uh, he said, you know, he played, or he didn't play for the team, but he worked uh, with the Cal football team when we were in college, and a lot of what he said was that if you see the arm dangling, it's usually a separated shoulder or something to do with the shoulder. If you see the hands either on the abs or on his chest, that means it's a collarbone because he can't let his arm dangle because it hurts so much. So he came off the field with his, you know, arm, I think, touching his abs. And then he he came out at halftime wearing a sweater, but his arm was tucked in under the sweater. So, yeah, I'm, my – uh. My couch doctor diagnosis would be a collarbone injury. So when is he expected to be back? Has there been any sort of mumblings among the uh, the staff? Um, uh, none at all. I mean, they, they told that to us on Monday. We're recording this on a Tuesday. So it's been a day, and all they said was they expect him back, um, but they're out indefinitely. So my educated guess would be, because since we don't know what the nature of the injury is, he's at least out for the month of what is it, October and November. And so by that point, the season's over and it goes into bowl game territory. So do you expect to uh, to need to have him for the Pac-12 championship game? <laughs> I expect to have him back for the Rose Bowl. That's that's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> yeah. So then what does Cal have to do to win the Pac-12? Yeah, if they want to win the Pac-12, I mean, I had a discussion about this with one of my um, other writers on the site. And and I went through all the, the possible scenarios that I could possibly think of. There's no way to do this without beating Oregon. There's, there's absolutely no way because we've beaten Washington. So if that, comes, if that goes down a tiebreaker, we hold that tiebreaker. If we beat Oregon here, we hold that tiebreaker against Oregon as well. And I, and I arguably think that those two are who you have to beat in order to get to a Pac-12 North champion, championship. So, yeah, if we don't win here, I mean – the moment we win at Oregon, we hold our own fate in our hands. But if if we're trying to win the Pac-12 North without beating Oregon, it takes a lot of contingency plans. It, it requires Oregon to lose, you know, another game somewhere, which I don't – I think they can win out. So, yeah, this this game definitely holds a lot of weight if that's the goal and that's what we're aiming to do this year. Well, we all have to beat Hawaii first, the reigning champions of the Pac-12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do not like playing that school. <laughs> no. All right, and then one more question. Um, 
Where is the best seat in Cal Stadium? Oof. Best seat at Memorial. Oh. I mean, the student section definitely have the best seats in the house. They're on the 50-yard line right behind the Cal bench. Like, there's not a lot of other stadiums around the Power Five that still do that. So that's definitely the best. But in my opinion, uh, I think anywhere between the 30 and 15-yard line on the opposing bench on either side is fine because – you're in the shade a little bit because you're under the press box and like all the, the club seats, but then your back is also facing the setting sun. So as long as it's a 1 PM or later game, you won't have the sun in your eyes. And so that's, that's probably where I'd sit if I was seeing the crowds. Have you ever watched a game from the lawn? Uh, No, no, but I do know people that always make that trek up there. Okay, uh, I believe that wraps up our questions for Rob. Um, thank you for coming on at such a short notice. No, I appreciate it. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I love talking to the Oregon guys. Always re- very well informed about the Pac-12 and, and football. And if it's not football, I hope that Cal gets the win in basketball, which definitely does not look likely either. So, but a man can dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, do you have a score prediction for the Cal and Oregon game? Oof. Um, I think I've been doing this across all the sites that I've talked to. So my, if I'm thinking with my head, I'm thinking it's going to be like a 24 to 14 game. If I'm thinking with my heart, it's going to be a 20 to nine game. We feel like it's going to be a close game because of Cal's defense. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it'll get to the spread in Vegas, which I believe spread to 18 today and it started at 15 and a half so yeah i don't think it'll get to 18 but it'll definitely be a lot closer well uh mr op thank you for coming on and uh we'll look forward to talking to you in the future i appreciate it guys thanks thank you robert okay that was uh rob huang from golden blogs our sister site on sb nation that covers cal Once again, we'd like to thank him for coming on.